Today on The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt guides us toward a new perspective on generosity. So in this story, we all want to identify with the widow, don't we? We're the rich people in the story. We're the rich people in the temple. And I just think, what does it mean in America when Christians ask, what is the, the richest Christians ever lived? What is the bare minimum that I need to give in order for God to be happy with me, for me to sort of check my list and think that everything is okay? I would say we're asking entirely the wrong questions here. As children, we often give freely and cheerfully, sharing our toys and goodies without hesitation. But as we grow older, the act of giving often becomes more measured and cautious. Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor and Bible Teacher at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Today, Pastor Steve explains what it means to live a generous life as born-again children of God. You can listen to this message and others from our Living a Generous Life series online at thejourney.fm. Now here's Pastor Steve. It was a year ago this month in February that we did a series of messages entitled Buried Treasure. And in my introduction to that series, I said the following, and I'm going to quote myself here, something I'm actually going to do again in the message. Rarely do that, but I'm quoting myself now. This, is, this was what I said in my introduction. I had friends that urged me not to apologize for speaking on money. They were afraid I would cave in to what people who love money would think if I should bring the scriptures to bear upon the subject. Why should a Bible-believing church apologize for talking about any biblical subject? I do not feel the need to apologize to you this morning. I apologize for not doing this series sooner and more often. I have been here at Bethel for coming on nine years and have rarely spoken one message on money. In those nine years, not a day has gone by that every one of us have not lived out a theology toward our finances that has either glorified or dishonored God. Over the years, I've talked with so many people who struggle to let Jesus be the Lord of their money. Some honestly trying, and many, many really not trying. I have counseled people who are carrying insane amounts of debt on their credit cards because they bow at the idol of possessions. Others are making financial decisions that force them to live lifestyles without generosity to God or others. I have talked with Christians who try to justify gambling as legitimate entertainment. All this time, new people were being added to the kingdom of God and added to this church without good teaching on this critical subject. Young people, like wet cement, have been forming financial habits in their lives that may or may not be honoring to the Lord. All that time, money was being made and spent every day, oftentimes without biblical consideration. So I do begin with an apology. I'm sorry that I have let this go this long. That's what I said last year. And I really honestly feel like, as I look at my teaching ministry since I've been here at Bethel, that a glaring weakness that I have had is that I have been uh, too afraid to talk about money. And so we did this whole buried treasure series that was, I think there was only four or five messages, something like that, on it. And one of the highlights that we had for the month was when we were talking about uh, the reality that as stewards, that God owns everything, that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 
And that includes my money and my house and my car and my bank account and my IRA and my pension and, and on and on. Uh, that that's God's too. And so one thing that we did to kind of drive that point home is that at the end of the message, I said, we're going to do something now that, that uh, I guarantee you've never done before. We're going to have a reverse offering. And I said, we've got a $10 bill that we're going to give to every household in this church. And that day, we, we gave away thousands of dollars in $10 bills uh, and challenged every one of you to take that $10, to see it as God's $10, and to see what you could do for the kingdom of God with it. Well, from that flowed all these amazing stories of how people took the $10 and they did this and they talked to that friend and they prayed about it and, and, and the Lord opened up opportunities for them and those $10 became hundreds of dollars, sometimes thousands of dollars, and that uh, money was given to missions and camps and neighbors and widows and on and on, and it was really quite a fun thing, I thought, didn't you? Yeah, it was, it was, it was good. And one guy told me this. He said, you know what? He said, Pastor Steve, that $10 was the heaviest bill in my, in my uh, wallet, he said. So heavy, it was God's $10. And that was a guy that was getting the point. Of course, the point wasn't that, hey, here's $10, see what you can do with it. It was that we need to look at every $10 bill or other denomination as being God's as well. They're all heavy in that sense, because we are stewards of what God uh, has given to us. So God really seemed to bless that series in many people's lives. I've heard many stories about things that have happened from that, and it's been a really good thing. And so I just have uh, decided that, that every February, uh, I'm going to do a message or two on this subject as a way of keeping this before us. It's been a year now since we addressed it. Um, so we're taking a little break from James, and we're going to uh, take a look at a famous, a famous story. Now, it is my personal observation, pastoral observation as well, that of all the areas that we have in our life, of all the categories that we have in our faith, that, that uh, we must as Christians surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ by Far the hardest one, it seems to me to be, is the whole area of our money. And we have so many Christians that uh, go to church. Churches are filled with these kind of Christians. They want to know that they're right with God. And so they have a mental checklist. They look themselves in the mirror and they say, okay, did you, did you, uh, did you go to church this week? I did. Check. Did you uh, read your Bible at some point this week? I did. Check. Did you pray at key times throughout the week? I did. Check. And they look at themselves in the mirror and they say, everything must be good with God. God must look at me and think everything is great. And those same people will go to church and live their lives year after year and will not honor the Lord with their money. But they think everything is okay with God because in all the other categories, they're okay with it. But in this one area, maybe not. So, what does God think about that? Wouldn't it be interesting to know that, honestly? Wouldn't you love to say, hey God, how am I doing? 
Like, give me a little checkup. How, how am I doing? What areas do I need to improve on? And, and what do you think about me? Or think of this. Imagine, you know, we just got done taking the offering. Imagine that as we took the offering, went really slow with it, and, and that God himself was sitting here, and as you did whatever you did today, that, there, that you looked at the face of God, and God was either doing this or was doing this. How would that change the offering time? I think we'd all be a little nervous, wouldn't we, if God was going to give us a personal evaluation of how we're doing in this key category of the Christian life? Would that make you a little nervous? I think we'd have a lot of people showing up after the offering, probably, uh, and just trying to skip it, uh, lest they get a negative evaluation. Well, you say, come on, God would never do that. Actually, he did. He did. And that's the story that we're going to study today. There was an offering that God sat there and gave a personal evaluation of how everybody was doing in this particular category. And the story is from Luke 21 and is a very short story, but is really one of the most beloved stories in all of the Bible. If you've been a Christian very long, you probably know this story already. There's not much to it text-wise, but there is a lot of truth here. So Luke 21, if you're not there, you can you can get there. Here's the situation. Jesus has been teaching in the temple for several days. He showed up there and he did the, the whole money changer, turning the tables over and, and saying, my father's house will be a house of prayer. And from that point on, he is teaching now in the temple and the religious establishment of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are are trying to catch him in his words, and so they're asking him the toughest questions of the day about marriage, um, about uh, taxes, paying taxes, about the resurrection. And Jesus, of course, is brilliant, unbelievably brilliant, all-wise, answers the questions. And he, at the end of this, he turns the table on these uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, and he makes a statement about them, and he does it actually in chapter 20, verse 46. This is what he says. He says this to all the people. Beware of the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and love to be greeted in the marketplaces and have the most important seats at the synagogue and the places of honor at the banquet. They devour widows' houses and for a show make lengthy prayers. Such men will be punished most severely. Now, we could spend our entire time right there on, on that, that passage. What is Jesus condemning there? He's condemning showy religion, religion that is done for the benefit of those that see it, those that seek the praise of men, those that want to sort of take their faith, take their religion, and show how spiritual they actually are. And so, in saying this, then, he says, but what are they really like? And he says, actually, if you want to know where their hearts are at, I'll tell you what these guys do. They actually are devouring widows' houses. And there is a little speculation about what that actually means, but it seems to indicate that, that with, they were taking advantage of the widows. Think of that. And we just got done studying in James, of course, that what you do to people that have nothing to offer you is the final statement of how real your faith is. And so, like, the worst thing that you could do would be to take advantage of somebody who is helpless, like a widow. And yet these guys were somehow 
financially taking advantage of them or whatever it was, they were devouring widows' houses. In other words, this is as bad as it gets. They've got flowing gowns, they have the seats of honor in the synagogue, but behind the scenes, they are full of greed. These are not godly men. They're not worthy of praise. He actually says they will be punished most severely. How would you like to have that statement said by Jesus about you? I wouldn't like that at all. And it can make you think about, you know, where's Caiaphas today? (laughs) What's his experience? Not good. Not good at all. So he looks at their hearts and he says, they're a sham. They're a show. They're a bunch of fakes. They're a bunch of hypocrites. They appear to be godly. They want you to think that they're super spiritual, but they're not. And what Luke does here is he arranges his gospel so that the story that comes on the heels of the showy religion of the Pharisees is the classic example of what a a truly authentic faith would look like. And we get to chapter 21, this very little brief story, so wonderful in its truth. Here's what he says. This is 21 verse 1. As he looked up, Jesus saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. Stop there. Let's talk context. What's going on here? Well, again, Jesus is in the temple. And this temple was, it was known as Herod's temple. There were three temples that were built on the Temple Mount, Solomon, Cyrus, and then uh, King Herod in in the first century built this temple. Forty years to build this temple. It was a magnificent structure. Just to kind of give you a little idea, I, I pulled this picture down. I don't know if you can see it or not, but here you have, here you have the, uh, the temple. Here's actually where the sacrifices were made. It was in here, but they had this whole, uh, uh, you know, superstructure here with this great big courtyard here, and this was known as the Court of Women, Okay. And this, I hate to say this, but this is as far as women were allowed. That's not politically correct, but that's the way that it was. Okay, read your Bibles. And <laughs> take it up with God someday. And in this area is where, uh, obviously, men and women would gather here. It was known as the court of women. And this was the area where... Uh, the people would come to give their offerings to God. And so they had, all around this courtyard, they had these uh, trumpet-shaped offering boxes. Okay? Trumpet-shaped offering boxes where people would go and they would, they would drop their money into, into the box. And there were very strict commands in the Old Testament about what people were supposed to give. I mean, it's, it's quite elaborate. You think the tax code is difficult that you're trying to figure out to pay your taxes. There is some difficulty in figuring out the Old Testament giving because there were offerings for this and, and there were feasts and festivals and offerings were taken for that. But the most basic principle of Old Testament giving was this little word called the tithe. Okay, the tithe. It's Hebrew for tenth. And this was the basic, the main offering that the Israelites would, would give, a, a 10% gift to God from whatever he, all, all of their increase, whatever he brought to them. And it wasn't just money, it was their, 
you know, it was their, uh, their crops or their animals or whatever. Everything was, uh, came under this tithe. Abraham was the first one who gave the tithe. You might recall when he rescues Lot and he meets Melchizedek, the king of Salem, uh, who was this special priest that we studied in Hebrews. But he comes to him and he gives him a tenth of all of the plunder that he had gotten in the battle. That's the first example that we have of a tithe. And then this tithe becomes, you know, it becomes law uh, through Moses and what God told Israel at Mount Sinai. So the tithe was then the the baseline gift. It was the basic gift that was given uh, to, to God. Now, how important were these in Israel? Well, they were very important, and they are helpful in indicating the spiritual vitality of the people. If you read the story of Israel, what you'll find is is that when spiritual vitality is high and when people are excited about God and they're loving him and they're, they're pursuing him and they're obeying him, generosity was also a part of it. famous example of this is when they were putting the first tabernacle together and Moses said, let's take up uh, uh, an offering through Israel and you can give your earrings and you can give your gold and all of that and all of this will be dedicated to the tabernacle and the people, their hearts were open to it and part of that was because they just got done with the whole thing that happened with uh, the golden calf and so they were repentant and they were once again wanting to follow the Lord, and so they gave generously, so generously that Moses said, okay, stop. We have way more than we could ever use. Stop. And that's the last time a spiritual leader has ever said that, but he did say that. So there's an example. God's people are excited, and they are generous. The the opposite is also true, though. Whenever in Israel there was a low spiritual ebb, there was also a lack of generosity to God by the people. Classic examples, what's going on at the time of Malachi. And in Malachi chapter 1, God basically rebukes the people because they were bringing to him to offer offerings of their lame animals, their sick animals. Okay, so they were legalistically following the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. They weren't giving their best, they were giving their worst. And he basically says, you know, would your governor accept those? Just keep them at home and quit offering, I'm sick of you. Okay, so... When God's people are fired up about God, generosity is also there. When God's people are not, there is a lack of generosity and there is a hoarding of resources. So by the time you get to the first century then, the time of the story with Christ, you have the temple once again as the central focus of worship in Israel. So people are coming to the temple and part of what they're doing in their worship is they are giving their tithes and their offerings. And so they would go into the court of women and they would go to these trumpet-shaped offering boxes and they would dump the money into the box and that is how they would that is how they would give it. So Christ is there. He's been teaching all day. And, and the idea here is that he takes a seat somewhere in there. And he's, he's watching people as they give their offering. And from this position, the text says that he notices the rich who are putting their gifts into, into the temple treasury. Now what advantage does Jesus have in that moment over the disciples and, frankly, over everybody else that was there. Well, as the Son of God, he knew more, didn't he? He knew more about 
every person that was coming to give that day. He knew who they were. He had, he had formed them in his, their mother's womb, David says. I mean, he is the creator. He knows them just like he knows us. He knew every hair in their head. He knew their name. And when it came to their giving, he also knew their entire situation. And so he, he sees the rich coming and putting their gifts into the offering. And apparently these were, these were large gifts, and, and here's why they appeared to be large gifts. It's because in that day, they didn't have direct deposit. Uh, you couldn't put it on your credit card. Uh, you couldn't uh, just, you know, send the check online uh, to the temple. There was none of that. In fact, they didn't have checks either. They had coins as their currency. And so uh, to give a large gift, it took a lot of coins to do that. It's much like our missionary Scott Staub. I remember when I was out there, he was explaining about how inflation has just created these insane uh, uh, situations when you go to buy something because the value of, the, of their currency has been so devalued, it takes a ton of their currency to buy it, and they don't take checks and all that. So when you go to buy a refrigerator in Romania, you've got to take like a suitcase of cash to buy the to buy the refrigerator. If you want to buy a car, you got to pull back. There's a truckload of, of bills that you've got to pull up, and here's the money, you know, stacks of bills. Here's the money to buy the car because it's worth so little, it takes a lot to, to do that. And so in, in Israel, then, you have a situation where in order to give a large gift, it required a lot of coins. And so you have these rich people who have these big bags of coins that are obviously apparent to everybody that's watching, and they're coming up, and they are dropping their gifts into the boxes. Mark actually says that they were throwing their bags into the boxes. Now, why do you suppose they would throw their bags of money into the boxes? The same reason at the gym, when... I am working out, and I hear this loud crashing sound back where the, the really muscly guys are working out. Those guys, they love to drop their weights, you know, when they're lifting. And they could set them down. They're strong enough. Look at the muscles on you. You could set that down gently, but they don't do that. Wham, 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 wham. And the, everybody in the place goes, who's lifting that? Like that. And there they stand, you know, doing it. That's me, you know. <laughs> These rich people... With the offering box, they're not just quietly dropping it. They're throwing the bags in there, and there's a <laughs> sound. Everybody, who's, oh, man, who is that? And they're going, that's me. That's right. An impressive amount of money. Everyone takes notice. Now, so can you see that in your mind? Are you with me? Then the dramatic moment happens that Jesus is highlighting here. It's verse, tw it's verse 2. It says this, He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. That's Pastor Steve DeWitt illustrating that it's not the size of our gifts that honors God, but the sincerity of our heart behind them. You're listening to The Journey in the first part of a message called A Generous Life. You can replay this message and find related resources when you visit us online at thejourney.fm. Well, here on The Journey, it's our mission to encourage and equip you in your journey of faith. And that's why each and every day we broadcast the truth of God's Word to men and women all over the world. But without our listeners, this wouldn't be possible. 
When you support this ministry by becoming a monthly partner or giving a one-time gift, you help cover the costs of delivering this Bible teaching program on the radio and web. So would you consider giving to support this crucial mission? You can call us at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And to say thanks for your gift, we'll be sending you The Treasure Principle by Randy Elkhorn. Jesus spent more time talking about money and possessions than about heaven and hell combined. But too often, we've overlooked or misunderstood his profound teaching on this topic from his words in Matthew 6. But in The Treasure Principle, Alcorn offers us life-changing investment advice from Christ himself and helps us discover the joy of generous living. You can request your copy of this excellent book when you call us at 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. And while you're there, join our mailing list to receive updates from The Journey. Just scroll to the bottom of the page and then enter your name and email. If you'd like to connect with us through Facebook or email, you'll find the links at the top of the page. That's thejourney.fm. And if you live nearby, consider joining us for worship at Bethel Church, where Steve DeWitt serves as senior pastor. We're located in Crown Point, Indiana, with multi-site campuses in Cedar Lake and Hobart. You'll find directions and all the info you need to plan your visit at BethelWeb.org. Well, I'm Tim Svoboda. Be sure to join us next time for more teaching from Pastor Steve DeWitt here on The Journey. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.